0: And we're back with another episode of That's Haram. I'm Sahara Sahara's with me. Hello. Assalamu alaikum. How are all of you surviving in these times? Tell us in the comments. Um, <laughs> so we were kind of discussing what we wanted to talk about for July and we kind of realized there's a lot of chatter going on about hajj this year and we kind of realized we haven't done an episode about hajj yet and i know i at least as a revert get a ton of questions from non-muslims about what the heck hajj is and we were kind of like this would be a perfect episode to do that so we're going to talk about
1: Hajj. hajj is literally at the end of the month so yeah it worked out well on our part um I guess I can start. So I'm not going to detail every single thing about Hajj because let's be real. You could just go read the Wikipedia, which is actually pretty on top of it. Um, What I will do is I'm just going to talk about some of the basics and then we're going to get into more of the ethical concerns that have come up in the last few decades about whether or not Muslims should even perform the pilgrimage. So for those of you who are like, what are they even talking about? The Hajj is the pilgrimage. It's where we go to Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, and it's the holiest city for Muslims. It's usually about five to six days, depending on our lunar calendar. We've talked before about how we use a lunar calendar in Islam. So it shifts every year. So this year, it'll be approximately from July 28th to August 2nd. As you might be aware, there's a global pandemic going on. So Saudi Arabia made the decision just a couple weeks ago that they will not be allowing anyone to come internationally this year for safety reasons. And they will allow some people in Makkah and locally to perform the pilgrimage, but it's not clear how many. I've seen a couple estimates that were like 500 people. And then I saw a couple estimates that were like 2000 people. And from my understanding, I think they're still a sighting. So it'll probably just end up being, it'll probably end up being whoever is like directly local and then like the, related to, like, the family of Sa'ad, because then they can, like, keep an eye on exactly every single person who's going through the process. In a normal year, not that really any year has been normal in the last few years, uh, nearly two million people do it, and then also, you can do the pilgrimage at any time during the year, and that's considered Umrah, but the actual Hajj, with a capital H, the one that we are required to do at least once in our life for any Muslims who are able, that is during the last month of the Islamic calendar so the way that it works is you have to if you're not already living in Saudi Arabia you have to go through a process of applying for a visa because most of the time you can't even get into the country unless you're going for religious reasons or um, economic slash business reasons so sometimes there are concerts and things like that but most of the time you can't just be like hello I would like a ticket to Saudi Arabia please So once you've got your visa approved, and partly why we're going to talk about it in the the second half, is that there are a lot of requirements. So you have to be either going with someone you're married to, if you're a Muslim woman, or someone you're related to, which is what we call a mahram. It's someone you can't marry, essentially. But that puts people who are reverts in, in a spotty position. It puts single woman in an awkward position. It ends up creating a lot of barriers to, to performing Hajj. And part of that is because in the last few decades, it's to keep the numbers down. But on the other hand, it also just ends up making it really hard for, exactly, gatekeeps really actually probably like a large majority of Muslims because think about the Muslims you might know in your life, like how many of them are married and how many of them are going to be able to just be like, all right, me and my brothers are all going to take off work at the exact same time and go perform Hajj. Now, actually, just real quick before I get into all of the nitty gritty, when I was a child, uh, my parents and I went to Umrah. So I actually was around three or four, and I touched the Kaaba sharif
0: before they like finally created the barrier. Really so quick, you- I want to define for our non-Muslim listeners what Umrah is. Yeah,
1: sure. Did you, did you want me to do it? Did you want? To yeah, do I it? wanted you to do it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> So, it's just the lesser pilgrimage, so you can literally do it at any time. Um, that's really it. So you can you follow the same steps for the most part, but you can do it whenever. It just doesn't count as the big one because the big one you have to do at the last month of the year. So, my dad has gone to Umrah like almost every year, every other year when we were able to afford that, and my parent, my mom has gone. Um, I have gone when I was little, like I was saying, but my brothers haven't. And now that it's 2020, I don't know that me and my brothers will ever go. Because while my brothers could go by themselves, I can't. And if we wanted to go, like I was saying earlier, we would all have to take off work at the exact same time. And we would have to, like, submit that, like, we are siblings and there's all these other parts and pieces. And just to fast forward a little bit before we rewind, it's also really expensive and all of our money is just going to the Saudi Kingdom's coppers, and they're not using their money for good. But Corey will get into that later. Yeah,
0: we'll touch on that later. But as far as, I do want to give a little bit of background. Hajj, the pilgrimage, there are two, I guess you could say holy, holy sites in what is now known as Saudi Arabia, and those are Mecca and Medina. And Mecca is where you go for Hajj. And where you go around the Kaaba. Did I say that right? Yeah, the Kaaba. Yeah, the Kaaba. And like Sahara said, it's about five to six days. And there are other steps along the way that you do. And it's considered one of the five pillars of Islam. Yes. So it's a big deal if you can do it. I mean, you should go. But this leads into what we're going in in the second part of the episode of if you can do it what that qualifies as so traditionally you would be going and there are se- you 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 don't just go right up to the khaba and do the prayers there are other steps in as far as hajj goes with some stone throwing and some other things and I'm going to let Sahara get back into that sure
1: so um so okay so once you are at the place, because they have, like, it's okay, like, you know what, let's, this sounds really funny, but like, let's think about a concert. So like, you're going to a huge concert, and there's all these gates, and you have all of these rules, right? So you show up to the right gate, and then you literally have to go through the process of entering in a state of holiness. And so that's called an ihram. So when we are performing hajj, we're ihram. So we're, con- we have to wear two white, seamless clo- cloths for the male with um, And most of you, if you've seen any pictures, you'll recognize what I'm saying as you think about it. So there's one cloth wrapped around the waist that is below the knee, and the other one is draped over the left shoulder and tied at the right side. And then for a um, woman, it's the same idea. You wear a white cloth or, or like any ordinary dress for a Muslim woman, but it has to be fully clean and you're fully covered except for your hands and your face. And we do our ablutions, which is where we wash our hands and we prepare ourselves for prayer and um you can't do anything that you would do like normally so for example we can't wear perfume you can't have sex you're not supposed to be shaving or clipping your nails um like any of like the normal day things you don't do because the whole idea is that we're supposed to be all there equal together with no difference between the rich and the poor obviously in practice well, what world do we live in where there's no
0: difference between the rich and the poor? What, you have um, the giant clock tower where anybody who's wealthy can go up and sip on chocolate sodas while everybody else does their pilgrimage? <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, what Corey
1: said. So, on the first day of Hajj, um, there's, like, people who remind you of what you're supposed to be doing. You confirm your intention to make the pilgrimage, and the prohibitions of a prom start. And you start by going seven times counterclockwise around the Kaaba. And if anyone doesn't know what the Kaaba is, it's what people call the black box. It's the cubic building, literally in the middle of Makkah. Um, there's a whole story behind that. And I think it's worth reading about, but I don't want to get too far off the, the actual point of this episode. But if you look up the Kaaba, all of it is listed. So once you've done your circ... I always forget how to pronounce that word. You um, then are, after that, led to pray to Rakat, which is where you go through the process of the prayer together t- twice. And then after that, because of, like, the large crowds, they have, like, different systems set up, and, like, I don't really get into all that. So once all of that is done and everyone's prayed together, Now people go to minna, which is where they proceed to spend a whole day and offer noon, evening, afternoon, and the night prayers together. And then the next morning they go to Arafat. Now Arafat is really important because that's where the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, peace be upon him, did his last lecture, last sermon. So everyone who prays there is really thinking about this is where our Prophet last was. This is um, where we are all standing before God and we're all going to pray together multiple times. If you don't go to Arafat that afternoon like you're supposed to, your hajj is invalid. So there are a lot of other like little rules, but it's very ritualized because as we've talked about on the podcast before, Islam is super ritualized. There's a lot of like we're all doing it together because we're all one huge Muslim community together. So now you're on day two, and um, you're spending the night at Mina again. And this is where Corey mentioned stoning the devil. So on your way back to Minna, one of the processes is you're picking up stones as well. So every Muslim is picking up stones because what you're going to do, well, I say you, what Muslims will do is you all throw seven stones from sunrise to sunset at the largest of the three pillars that are there. And that's a symbolic stoning of the devil. And then the remaining two pillars, because there's three pillars, the other two are left alone because that is for a later process. After this is done, so for any of you who are like, wait, there's two Eidh. So the second Eidh where we slaughter an animal, this is part of Hajj. So actually Hajj occurs before eid al-Adha can occur. So it's two parts together. So everyone who's there, either they will slaughter an animal or there will be um, like, Like each family can like pick an animal to be slaughtered on their behalf because if all 2 million people slaughtered an animal, that would be a lot of animals and no one to eat them. And that's really chaotic. So after the animal sacrifice, the um, men shave their head or trim their hair. And women usually cut the tips of their hair. So that's another part of it. And then we're on to the fourth day. So on the fourth day, people throw more stones. Now they're throwing them at all of the pillars and then on the fifth day, you throw stones again, and then people can start leaving again for Mecca before sunset. So that was day one, two, three, four, and five. And then on the last day, um, if people can't leave, so this is an interesting just thing, if people can't make it out because of whatever reason, they perform the stoning ritual again, and then they all return to Mecca, and then finally they do the circumambulation around the Kaaba Sharif again. And they do this uh, circle seven times counterclockwise. And if they can, they attempt to touch or kiss the kava. So that's what I was saying earlier about how I was able to. But now it's really hard because imagining two million people, all of the people in that space trying to do it together, there's going to be people getting depeded over or just... There's going to be injuries because everyone obviously is like really excited to do that. So it doesn't happen quite as much. So that is a very brief brief breakdown of all of the ways or all of the parts of Hudge. And if you're more interested, definitely like read about it. Um, But then that brings us to more about like why it's kind of hard for people to go and also like all of the visa things and just the costs and transportation and et cetera, et cetera.
0: Well, and again, you do, you do bring up a good point and something that I would face even if I weren't like openly outspoken against the house of Saud (laughs) I'm a I'm a revert I don't have family to go with you know my husband's not Muslim I don't have anyone to go with so that you know and there are a lot of reverts with especially women that are facing that and it's just like well okay even if we took out all of the ethical concerns the amount of hurdles you have mm-hmm. to go through to be able to do Hajj now because of the gatekeeping that's set in. And believe me, I have many, 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 many ethical things that I'm going to be bringing up because I'm just I, I am still the Abraj al Bait, Bait, Abraj al Bait. I think. It's, it's mm-hmm. a giant freaking clock tower. <laughs> and, okay, this is a seven skyscraper hotel clock tower with a mall in it right up next to Mecca, mm-hmm. And I'm like, it literally overshadows it. And they... Yep. And I mean, like, the building itself is like this art deco. It's something you picture in like Gotham. And I'm not against the building itself, but where it is and what it symbolizes and...
1: The, oh no, the, I'm the against talk- the
0: building itself. It's ugly. <laughs> The other issue with Hajj is, as far as infrastructure goes, they are so far behind on making it safe. Because there's all this construction, people get stampeded, construction cranes fall over. Like, you you can die doing Hajj. Because mm-hmm. the infrastructure has been ignored for so long. And instead of addressing this infrastructure, they tear down holy birth sites. Mm-hmm. Or homes to make these gaudy ass capitalist nightmare towers
1: and they say
0: it's because they're making mecca and hajj safer which by the way for
1: anyone who's like really interested in uh oh i just forgot is it eschatology eschatology like the thinking about like the end of the world apocalypse Building higher buildings in the Middle East and the Muslim world is literally "quote unquote" one of the signs of like the Day of Judgment coming. So it's hilarious that Saudi Arabia's leaders are like, "Yeah, let's just build really gaudy, awful buildings, and let's just trample all of the graves and important not shrines, shrines isn't the right word, but like important places for different uh, religious figures in our religion, and we're gonna just squeeze money out of people so they can do something that is required."
0: I'm going to put a photo of this damn tower towering yes, over the Kaaba. I'm going to put it on there so you can see exactly how tacky this is. Yeah.
1: And then it is CCTV cameras and, like, major surveillance because, like, safety. No, it literally just means that anyone who doesn't look like the right type of Saudi Arabian person is screwed. Because, as we all know, and for those of you who might not know, all of those buildings, by the way, aren't built most of the time by people from Saudi Arabia. They're built by immigrants and uh, not to put too fine of a point on it, but literally some people who have been enslaved because all of their visas are removed from them. And so there's no this whole... Leaving. Right. So there's this whole ethical and moral dilemma that a lot of Muslims have been talking about where it's like, okay, so Allah requires us to do this. And it is part of our religion. It is one of the five pillars of Islam. And we can't because all of these rules have been put into place by the government. Mahrams which is the, pers- you know, if you're a single female or just woman under the age of 45, actually, is the r- ruling that they have. If you're a woman under the age of 45, you have to have Amharam. Which is hilarious because, like, what? Like, are there not single women over 45? question mark What's that about? Anyways, all of those rules, they're not religious rules. Like, they're not rules from the Quran or from, like, some, like, fi- like the prophet, right? At the prophet's time and when Hajj was happening, everyone just did it. It was fine, and and women and men are in the area together. And actually, the reason um, why a lot of more liberal Muslim feminists, like as as an actual movement, not just like me stringing words together, they push for women leading the prayer and other things like that, is because during hajj, like everyone is together. There's no segregation. So if during hajj we're not segregated, why are we segregated at regular prayer times? And that's neither here nor there for this specific episode, but it brings up yet another issue of, so you've made the visas really expensive. You've made it so that it's really hard. Um, Even where they've made rulings where it's like, if it's like a bunch of women together from like a organization and like that kind of situation, it still puts the onus on those women to now find some random man that they can like include as their mahram. Um, And then also thinking about like children and just, how are you doing things safely so they have they have like so for the um one of the parts is you go back and forth seven times before Safa and Marwa and uh they have like speed lanes for people with disabilities and for people who are using wheelchairs or for the elderly but that doesn't mean that people still aren't getting like I mean it's like with any part of the world but disabled like access quote unquote it's not accessible and so now you've got people who, like, really want to go because they want to do what Allah told us to, but then they can't. And so then for those of us who are like, well, what would be the point, right? Because we're spending all this money, it's going right back into the Saudi kingdom. And that Saudi kingdom right now is literally, I don't want to say half because it's not half, but, like, it's a huge chunk of why there's a crisis in Yemen, and all yeah. of our money is going to the... So, like, ethically, how are Muslims supposed to do hajj if all of our money is harming other people? And, you know, like, most Yemenis are Muslim, so there's that level. But, like, in general, we shouldn't be harming other people because that's part of our religion. So it makes it really hard for a lot of people to have the true discussion about what it means now because sometimes people will go, I'm not going to be able to afford it, so I don't have to think about it. But the thing is, like, no, like, there are people who can afford it and choose to go, and, and we have to have that really difficult discussion of, like, are you doing Hajj for the right reasons? because now all of the other parts of it have become really gross, which really sucks.
0: Well, and you've also got, I mean, I explained this to my non-Muslim friends that have asked me, you know, why I have such an issue with the House of Saud. Part of it is because they're helping to fund the war in Yemen, which has led to massive famine and lots of death and suffering. Part of it is because they got right behind the Wahhabist school of, Islam, which is the ultra-conservative, um, the, the very, very ultra-conservative part of Islam that a lot of people are more familiar with. And they, like, really push kind of missionary efforts for spreading that ultra-conservative form of Islam, which... I don't know if I can say I think is a perversion of Islam, but I think is a perversion of
1: Islam. I think you can say that. And also when, when Corey says they get behind, like literally like Saudi Arabia is, is, is Wahhabi. Like they're, they're, that's it.
0: So. Well, no, historically I'm going to, okay. I'm going to have to do some uh, history lessons here. Historically, (laughs) the house of Saud was not supposed to have control over, um, the Arabian Peninsula it used to uh, Syria and Iraq used to be under colony control from France and England and even before that um, during you know World War One, they were like with the Ottomans fighting Europe was like hey you know we'll give up control of this land and we'll back this guy to be the king of Arabia the Arabian Peninsula
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: you know Western imperialism they went back on their word, and instead of this guy, the Hashemite kingdom, which is now just Jordan, those that family was supposed to be the one being backed, and instead, the House of Saud, because you know Europe was just like psych <laughs> like you're on your own, was able to gain power because they joined up with the Wahhabists. And now here we are. Yeah. So because Wahhab.
1: So so Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab literally was like, "Yo, Muhammad Ibn Saud, let's be let's be best friends." And they created pact. And as of seventeen hundred sixty something, I want to say it's seventeen hundred, it's, uh, they've now had power in Saudi. And so the Wahhabist movement. And and so so okay. To rewind a little bit. So obviously. Islam is a world religion, and you practice to sit, like, according to how you grew up and all of those pieces. But because Makkah and Medina are the two holiest sites, which are in the country where literally people like me are not accepted, people like Corey aren't accepted, like, the only mm-hmm. people that you see, like, that are South Asian. So when we would go, and, like, when we would go to, because to get to Bangladesh, my family and I would either have to go through Dubai and then, like, do a stopover in Saudi because my dad and mom would we, like, wanted to, or go through Bahrain, people who are from Bangladesh, people who are from South Asia, people from other parts of the Middle East, um, African countries, they're all just the workers there. And so there's this immediate segregation, which is literally both illegal and haram, And then there's the just immediate separation of all of the different people from different backgrounds. And the same thing happens during Hajj. They're actually quotas because the idea is like, okay, well, if we have quotas, everyone will be equally represented when they do Hajj. Even though it's not like the freaking electoral college. It's not like, okay, if you have 30 people from Bangladesh and 20 people from India, you've now equally represented like the Muslims who want to go to Hajj. That's not how this works. But because... um, That you know, they're in power. They have been in power, and they will unfortunately probably be in power beyond my death. They get to say what goes, and so they fund, plus with funding from the U.S. and from other European countries and other countries near them, they get to fund Wahhabism and Salafism, which is similar, but also for the purpose of this conversation, just know that they're also conservative, like pushing that across the whole world when by the way muslims aren't even supposed to be doing missionary work we're supposed to just lead by example so you already like you screwed up six times in one sentence right there
0: if you're doing all of that so i was i was gonna say before i got off on my history tangent just because i thought (laughs) the history was important to know how they were able to take over because thanks western europe um yes so europe rooting things again yeah um, I I described this to my Muslim friends because they don't understand. It's I guess it's hard to wrap your head around when it's that far across the globe. This would be like if the Westboro Baptist Church were like the sole controlling Christian group in the U.S. and controlled like the Vatican, and any money you spent on your religion went to them. Yes. So I need you all to let that sink in. So f- for us, it is a very, is very much an ethical dilemma knowing that our money is going to go to support that regime. And it's like Sahara said, they've already screwed up six times in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and this isn't even talking about, you know, the oppression in Saudi Arabia or... You know how the House of Saud keeps power, um, mm-hmm. how they treat women, how they treat foreign workers, how they—the fact, you know, the journalist Khashoggi that they literally kill their rivals. I mean, it is not good. It's bad scoop. <laughs> yeah. So you have we re- there's an ethical dilemma of if by some miracle I were granted a visa. And I was able to afford to go. And I didn't think I was going to die from a falling crane or a collapsing bridge. <laughs> I'm like, all of my money that I'm paying for this is going to a murderous regime. How can I because feel, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's not even just like, when we say like a lot of money, like, okay, like, there's obviously the thousands of dollars for the flight. But there's also the process of like you have to pay for like where you're going to stay. And there's like packages just like study abroad. Like there's there's it's been capitalized beyond like, yes, any level of moral enterprise right. now. Exactly. And I think what makes it also really like it's, it's one of those things where like there's ethical dilemmas from every perspective. Right. Because, OK, if you for some reason don't care about. And I say this general you, like if there are Muslims who are like, well, no, like Allah says we have to do the Hajj, so like I'm going to do it. Like I get that because it is one of the pillars of Islam. I'm fully aware of this. However, flying to Saudi Arabia when we now know the sheer amount of climate damage that flying does is, is an ethical dilemma. Dealing with the fact that like the people who are working, because obviously there are people who have to like staff the areas are getting paid very little and are treated terribly is an ethical dilemma. So no matter which way you try to slice it, it's super problematic and it's super difficult because for obvious reasons, as we've just now went over multiple times, like, it's required of us to do. But I also think that at the end of the day, depending on the type of Muslim a person is and, like, clearly, like, Corey and I both, like, we have no interest in doing it. Even if I can afford it, like, who am I going to go with? Me and my brothers, maybe. If I ever get married, maybe. But, like, I at don't that even point, have a way
0: that I can get approved to go.
1: Right, right. Like, you'd have to be part of one of those, like, groups, or you have to wait till you're 45. So. But, but, but then it's also, like, okay, let's be real, though. Islam is fully accepting, and we're all supposed to be really accepting, but Corey's talked about it, and I'm not going to lie to you. Unfortunately, people are shitty to revert because we suck. Like, humans suck, and so every type of bias that we can all have, we've all got it baked into our bones at this point. And so even if you were to go with a group of, like an inclusive group of diverse Muslim women who are all reverts or like whatever, people are still going to look at you funny because people suck. And so it becomes this thing where like the whole premise of being an is that we are all equal in the eyes of God. We are performing our prayers before Allah because Allah is everywhere. Allah isn't just in Saudi Arabia. That's not how that works. But like when you're at the holy site, you're even closer to God. It's, It's kind of like the approach. And especially like at Arafat, which is where the prophet did his last sermon like that's a huge freaking deal to be able to go do that. But because of everything that we just talked about this episode, it makes it really hard for people, I think, to understand like, oh, like, because you don't, like you don't, most people don't go, like if you're Catholic, you're not going to the Vatican City for, like, unless you really want to. That's not like a thing that's required of you. Mind you, we could have a whole conversation about how much gold is in that dang place. But like, <laughs> like there's not this like literally like as a Muslim, it is required of me and it is something that I'm literally supposed to do. And so it makes it really hard for people, I think, to understand, like, so you're not doing the thing? And it's like, well, I can't because I don't have money. But even if I did, I don't want to because it's garbage. Because what's garbage is my money is going to harm people. Mm. Um, And I think it's one of those things where people are like, okay, well, boycotts don't work. There's always going to be millions of people who go to hudge. And I'm like, yes. But also as coronavirus is now showing us, millions of people will not be going to hudge anytime soon. And so in a couple of years when people can go to Hudge again, are they going to hike up the costs to make up for the fact that they've lost literally billions of dollars? Probably. And at well, that point, when are, who's going to go then? Because now no one can afford it, even the people who are rich.
0: But for me, it also ties back into, you know, we have the saying, remember the dean. Mm-hmm. How can I quote unquote remember the dean if i am doing something that actively puts money into the coffers of people who actively harm others yep to me that is my main quandary is like i can't do both and yeah. the higher mandate would be your fellow man and i mm-hmm. would actively be harming my fellow man mm-hmm.
1: $8,000 so, yeah that's a lot of money
0: Yeah, so for me, that that is, even if I could afford it, that's my boiling down point of, like, I am not remembering the dean. I have nothing to do with the dean if I go to Hajj and I'm giving money to a regime that is actively harming people and perverting the religion.
1: Yeah, especially because on, like, taxes where we don't get to choose where they go, because there's Mm -hmm. been discussion about, like, well, if we could choose not to tax like, if we could pick and choose which buckets our money went into, it would tell a different story in this country. We can absolutely choose not to go to Hajj. Like, like, no one can force you to do it. That's not a thing that happens. Like, how would you even make some, like, that's not, no. So, um, you know, it's about making that active choice about going and, and what what are other ways to show your, show your, um... Faith, I I guess, would be the way to think about it. And then also, even like we've talked about in our multiple Ramadan episodes, which if you haven't listened to, you should. You know, if you can't fast, there are things around that. So I think with Hajj, it's hard because there's nothing already written that's like, well, if you can't do Hajj, this is what you do. But also, there are going to be billions of Muslims throughout time who will never be able to perform Hajj just because of how expensive it was even before they added all of the garbage stuff to it, right? It's just, it's
0: like, who gets to be like here? if able.
1: It doesn't say,
0: (laughs) you know, oh, if you don't, Fulfill Hajj, you're going to hell, right? You know this isn't Christianity, (laughs) but yeah, yeah. But seriously, mic drop. This isn't (laughs) Christianity. Like there is no you're going to go to hell for all eternity if you don't do this. It is recommended if you can, and I, you know, but well, and also, (laughs)
1: um, one of the things we didn't talk about, and I only just remember this, is that it's also like, is our Hajj truly accepted? Like, okay, we did all of the parts and pieces, but will Allah accept our Hajj if our Hajj harms other people? I don't know. Obviously, we humans don't speak for God. That's, like, the whole point, right? right. But, but there's, there's, there's a question about that, too. Like, we've got people, and this is, this is a question that's come up for years, then, from multiple stories about um, people who've gone to Hajj during post the Prophet's time. It's like, what does it actually mean to do that? Because it's the same thing with prayer. We're supposed to pray five times a day, and most of us do. But how many of us are truly focused on just prayer? How many of us, while we're praying, are thinking about what we're going to make for dinner the next day and all this other stuff, right? Because the idea about prayer is that you are literally only praying. Humans, however, are really incapable of doing that just because of the way that, like, our multitasking society has made us. But but that's the same thing with Hajj. Like, I can go to Hajj, but if the whole time I'm thinking about, like, other crap or because my money now has harmed people and it's just enriching Saudi Arabia, then we're kind of just stuck.
0: Well, and again, for me, it's a conflict of... it. If you do something and it is directly harming people, it's a conflict with the dean. Yep. It is an indirect conflict. I mean, maybe we should explain what that is, the dean is. <laughs> <laughs> Go um, for it. <laughs> okay. This is like my very reverty conception of what the dean is so it's uh, three general senses which is like judgment custom and religion and it,
1: it's essentially our way of life like it's divine law it's our encompassing beliefs it's the articles of faith it's character it's deeds it's don't be a mm-hmm. shit lord shorthand version essentially except that's clearly not in the quran but like don't be a butthead like like be a good person like do what you're supposed to do pray the five pillars etc but that's the thing right like the deen is inclusive of everything and um it it means that like what our experiences as muslims and like we've talked about this before like in islam in islam uh it's an encompassing religion where literally every part of your life is touched by Islam, right? Mm-hmm. There's not like, okay, well, now that I've left the church or now that I've left the mosque, like I'm done for the day. Like I went to my prayers and that's it. Like it is, like we mentioned before in other episodes, like we are constantly saying Bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the name of the most beneficent and most merciful. We say that before we eat. We say that before we drink water. We say that before we leave the house. We say that before we get into a car. Literally every single thing that you do, unless it's like a bad thing, you're saying Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. And so the idea is that, like, at every single part of our life, we're constantly in remembrance of Allah and our prophets and our religious beliefs. And even things like it rained. Oh, that's because Allah told the angel of weather to make it rain. Like, all of our life is is part of that. And it's full of that. So deen then is that altogether.
0: So, so for me, what, when I'm saying, like, it's a I have two layers of when I'm saying this is direct conflict with the deen. To currently go to Hajj and Mecca. Yeah. Because, you know, Allah says the only true deen in the sight of God is your surrender to Allah. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you go to Hajj right now, all that majesty, quote unquote, all the power is with the house of Sa'd. Is not, it's not with Allah. Mm-hmm. So it's a false deen. Because those and powers. And it's a false idol. Yeah, it's false idolatry or a false dean. It's it's not the true dean. So there is my immediate level contradiction with the dean. And then also, you know, the dean is also about your fellow man. And that's the second level of, well, I'm also not helping my fellow man by, shun, sh, you know, funneling money to mm-hmm. the idol, the idolater. And again, you look at the clock tower, it's really not hard to see it <laughs>
1: or the cranes.
0: Yeah, or the cranes. Again, I'm going to have a photo so you can so you guys can see the fact that they built that tower to me right over Mecca where it is Mecca and the Kaaba are directly in the shadow of the clock tower. You know, that that to me personally as a Muslim is th- The house of Saad setting themselves up as master, lord, and sovereign
1: Mm -hmm. over Allah. Mm -hmm. Well, and they already did before they even got to the damn clock tower, because, like we were mentioning earlier, the Saudi Arabian government for decades has been tearing down and destroying uh, spaces that are known for being where prophets were and their graves and mm-hmm. other religious figures, and people. And so, the fact that this is something that we are seeing with the clock tower and their other buildings, and like I mentioned earlier, the fact that it's part of the signs of the Day of Judgment, like, we have reached a really problematic, problematic is the right word, that word has lost all meaning. We've reached a really awful point in history now when it comes to where Saudi Arabia is as the like, uh, well, I don't want to say kingdom, because the- that they are kingdom. But like where they rule, they get to make decisions mm-hmm. for all of these Muslims around the world where we've talked at length on this podcast. Islam doesn't have to do with the Arabic language. It's not a requirement that you know that language. That's not how this works. So Saudi Arabia gets to make up all these rules because they apparently are like the one and only. But Saudi Arabia was never supposed to be ruled like this. And so we literally like, I say we, but the Saudi kingdom literally did everything they weren't supposed to do.
0: Right. And again, I know, like, I normally don't get this deep into my personal beliefs. You know, as a revert on here, I try to refrain from that because I'm a little bit afraid of being judged.
1: (laughs) I don't even know how many people listen to us. They can get over it. Yeah, (laughs) but, you know,
0: it's like, oh, the revert's getting religious now. But, um, you know, for me, it's a direct conflict with the Dean to do Hajj right now because of the circumstances surrounding it. Now yeah. that is between me and Allah and we will deal with that after I die, but everybody else has to make that decision too. Yeah. So. That's that huge in and that. that's so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how long we've been talking for. Um so I mean yeah, historically Hajj has been should be a reflection of you know, your spirituality when you get to go and have a very spiritual pilgrimage unfortunately the current reality is it may still be that way for some people but there are a lot of um, other things that have wormed their way in to it that are unfortunate yes However, that does not mean you can't have, you know, spiritual moments. We just came out of Ramadan. That's like an entire, pretty much month of, you know, spirituality. So just, you know, don't take us saying just because you can't do Hajj doesn't mean you can't experience, a, you know, a spiritual moment. You can, you can experience that every time you pray. Okay. So we're not saying, you know, it's just we're going to be suffering the rest of our lives because we can't or choose not to do Hajj. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I also think, I mean, I mentioned al Adha earlier. Like, that's still part of, like, the process, right? So, mm-hmm. literally, if all Muslims went to Hajj every year, that would be physically impossible. But at the end of the month, we have al Adha, and we do remember the story of Abraham being asked, well, asked is not right We're being told to sacrifice his son, and then him not, until he almost does it, and then there's an animal instead of his son, and that's why we do al Adha. And so, we give a third of that meat to the... Neighbors or friends, and we give a third to charity, and then we keep a third for ourselves. And there have always been, since the beginning of Muslim Islam slash Muslim time, I don't know what I was trying to go with that. But since the beginning of Islam, there have always been from Allah rules and ways to deal with whether or not you can do something. And so, at this point in my life, and especially with coronavirus, my dad's not going to the farm to go slaughter an animal. That's dumb. That's silly and irresponsible. Instead, you can pay for an animal to be slaughtered somewhere else on behalf of your family and that meat is then given to the poor and we always do it in english because that's where my family's from right so there are a lot of ways to still be fully involved and fully within the religion fully connected to the deen that doesn't include let me give you eight thousand dollars that you can now put seven thousand of towards killing people in yemen
0: exactly so i mean that's really all we can say on that before we just start repeating ourselves um, yes you know, I know this was a little bit more of a charged episode than some of the stuff we've normally done. What are you talking about? All of our episodes are charged. Don't lie to them. Well, <laughs> real world topical. Charged. <laughs> well, compared to the one we just did on Legends of Tomorrow.
1: Well, yes. But you, yes. <laughs> I'm just saying we are always very intense.
0: Yes. Um, So if you guys do have any questions about Hajj or, like, you've tried to go read about it and maybe um, you're a tad confused on certain terms, feel free to leave us a comment. We'd be happy to try and elaborate on any questions you might have or maybe explain something to you that you may be not quite understanding. Um, You know, there's stuff I've had to go to Sahar back when I was uh, starting my whole late- oh, wait, I think I want to revert, where I was like, Sahara, what is this? I can't remember the name. It's the Dirt Headband. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was so funny.
1: Corey just got into the weeds, and she was asking me questions about stuff. I didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, yeah, give me one second. Immediately goes to Wikipedia and Google, what is she talking about?
0: Well, yeah, Sahara's just like, okay, get Islam for idiots. Start with the basics. You are going yeah. out to some way esoteric stuff here. Oh, my gosh. But we are happy to answer any questions you might have. Or, you know, if you do have other questions about aspects of Islam or even how it relates to media. I know there wasn't as much media in this episode. (laughs) It's fine. We can talk about whatever we want. But, um, yeah, if you guys have any questions relating to Hajj or some, you know, you would like for us to maybe expand on the Dean or the Five Pillars of Islam or anything like that, just drop us a comment below. And, you know... Let me know how gaudy you think that clock tower is, because I'm still definitely putting an image in there. Because it's bad. It's really bad. Anyways, that's what we've got for today. Don't forget to check out other Fundamentals Network podcasts. Those include... Ladies first, beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics, we have a live play RPG group that's every Friday and that is Forge Academy. We also have episodes that pop up sporadically for the Fandom Mentalists and the Book Snobbery. The Fandom Meeples may be coming in this fall, so keep an eye out on that. And then we will also have another fall podcast launching about some sort sartorial discussions because I love my fragrances and I need to talk about them more hope you guys are having a safe summer so far keep wearing your masks and sanitizing that's the last thing i want to say wear your stupid masks it's not stupid it's really important don't leave your house unless
1: you absolutely have to your
0: objections to wearing them are stupid i'm gonna say that wear the stinking mask keep people alive (laughs) don't get covid thank you guys for listening we will be back next time